0: Hi, I'm Dr. Mitzi Crockover. Welcome to Beyond the Paper Gown and part two of my discussion with Leslie Ford, founder and CEO of Mom's Hierarchy of Needs. Leslie is a former marketing and business development expert who used her own experience with burnout and her research skills to study the challenges moms and other caregivers face as they try to juggle family, caregiving, and work. She found that for most of us, caring for ourselves ends up on the bottom of our priorities. Not a real surprise, right? So she developed a graphic of this called the Mom's Hierarchy of Needs, and she created a program for moms to help them make sure to include themselves in their priorities. We talk about this program in part one, along with tips for helping us to get a handle on our busy lives and making time for self-care. So do take a listen to that episode as well. On today's episode, we'll talk about the other part of her business, a consultancy aimed at employers who want to make the workplace more supportive of caregivers who are mostly, you guessed it, women and moms. We pick up our conversation where we talk about her work, focusing the bulk of this discussion on changes that can be made in the workplace, as well as policies she feels need to be adopted to support families with working parents and other caregivers.
1: On the mom's side, my focus is really motivation, education, and activation. What I encourage moms to do is to ritualize self-care and think of it as a daily part of life. And to begin to ritualize boundary setting and think of that as a daily part of life. And start with the relationships or the environments where they feel safest and where they feel that they can confidently do that. And then work toward the environmental uh, factors that might be preventing them from doing that. On the other side of my business, which is where I spend a lot of time, is in organizations. So I have a whole, the majority of the revenue part of my business is going into environments like, you know, Fortune 500 companies. Um, I'm going to have my first hospital system soon. So some healthcare facilities, which I'm pretty
0: excited about. Absolutely. Because, you know, healthcare providers, or anyone in the healthcare system is facing such burnout, and such challenges.
1: A hundred percent. Well, what I see there, and interestingly, 22% of the moms in my current study, work in healthcare. And this is my study that started March 30th of 2020, and is now in wave nine, has over 3,500 parents who've participated. Wow. And so it is the longest trending look at the very strange last few years that we've had. But it's a huge amount of people in healthcare, the next biggest category, perhaps not surprisingly is education, Mm -hmm. with 20% of the sample. So what I hear from the moms in healthcare is that not only has everything about their jobs changed, everything, (laughs) due to the pandemic, that they are now in environments that are even more short-staffed than they were before. Um, If they're doctors, nurses, or other clinical staff, they feel like distraught, morally distraught about not being able to provide the patient care that they want to be able to provide. And they feel trapped between a profession that they love and that they believe in with the inability to care for their own families the way they want to, or the inability to care for their own health the way they want to, or even the inability to extend what they know to be right to patient care in some cases. So all of those things, I think, have put Moms in healthcare, in this in this incredible um, state of of stress and disconnection, and in any environment, I think what happens, frankly, every employment environment needs to change, but healthcare sets the tone for everybody else.
0: So you have now a health system who has hopefully seen the benefit of that and. Engaged you. So, what do you do for employers?
1: Well, there's a few different things that I do. Um, There's one hospital system that I met with recently where their employees are like 76% women. Right. Um, And the average age is like 40. So, knowing just the stats, right, you have a very high percentage of mothers. So, they recognize that care is really critical and wellness programs to support their business resource groups or their affinity groups for working parents, which means programming that really allows people to have a safe space where they can have open conversations about the challenges of childcare, the challenges of um, the challenges of integrating work and life, the challenges of self-care, the challenges of boundary setting, what to do when you have a manager who doesn't get it. Because there's so many managers which I'll talk about next, (laughs) because that's a whole (laughs) other place. But there's so many managers who haven't had the life experience yet. They've never cared for anyone. They're not parents, they don't have elder care responsibilities. And they have lots of discretionary time. So they don't understand what it's like to be, you know, responsible for a team that has to really integrate work and life in a different way than they do. So all of those things, we just kind of create a safe space. Um, I have the wellness app, so we will run challenges and do goal setting and really focus on the self-care component and the self-advocacy component. On the system side, with managers, I really talk to them about not just what is you know mandated, but what's what are your norms? Like if you're telling someone that you believe in their work-life balance, Yet you're sending them Microsoft Teams or Slack or instant messages at nine o'clock at night. That's inconsistent. And what's gonna happen is the mom at nine o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night, she's still doing a hundred other things, right? She's trying to get her kids to bed. She's trying to like organize sure. cleanup because you know disproportionately every study, not just mine, <laughs> globally, um, women do twice as much childcare and twice as much household work when partnered to a male. So she's doing all those things. You've sent out this really fantastic assignment. She's still gonna break herself in half and respond to it at like 11, but she's gonna respond to it after everybody else on the team has responded to it. And then six months later, she's not gonna get promoted and she won't know why. And that's what managers can do differently. They can schedule send their messages to create equitable access to those plum assignments. Managers can ask people how they're doing emotionally, not just how they're doing with the work or how the to-do list is going, but a lot of the challenges people face, you know, I've had people on my teams, I've managed a lot of people over the years. I've had people who are depressed, I've had people who are bipolar, I've had people with terminally ill spouses, I've had people with high-risk pregnancies. And I've like honored that they would confide these things into me because they knew that I cared. And I ask them how they're doing. And, I, and if you don't have a one-on-one meeting with your team, they'll never tell you these things. These are so personal. They need to have space to do it. So I tell managers to create that space, to look at equitable meeting times. Like, please don't schedule meetings at 8 and 9 a.m. when most people are still dealing with child care issues or possibly even elder care issues. Please don't consider the happy hour as the mandated team event, because if you have small children, you don't want to go to happy hour. You don't want to go to that late night event, or you might want to, but it's going to cause so much havoc in your household that you, know, you don't want to be forced to make that choice. So leaders and workshops for leaders on how to be equitable, transparent, and thoughtful of parents and caregivers with how they assign work is a critical part of what I do because even the most Jedi level boundary setting parent, when they meet with a manager or an infrastructure that doesn't value caregiving or understand what caregivers need, you know, then it, it doesn't matter if you get the hairy eyeball because you have to go pick up your kids, then it doesn't matter what the policy says. So managers are a really critical part of changing work life for parents.
0: You know, it's interesting and this is just a small Example, but it meant so much to me when my daughter was um, young and I was working at a, a large corporation. It was her first day of kindergarten, or pre-K, I should say. And I said to my my boss, basically, I said, "I'm going to be a little bit late. I'm going to take her to you know her first day." And he looked at me. And he said, "Absolutely." He said, "There will always be another meeting, but you'll never have that first day." Of taking your child to school. I didn't expect to get too too much pushback. But the fact that he even said that was just so meaningful. So, you know, again, those little things I think are so important.
1: It's huge. I'll just add one thing. You know, I, I really emphasize this with with the dads, because the dads still have a disproportionate level of time choice. And often control over their schedules in the workplace that the moms don't have. And I tell the dads, like, if you're going to that game or if you're doing pick up or drop off, be transparent about that. Because all the moms will feel a thousand times better. And the leadership will realize that caregiving is not gender assigned, that there are many people exercising care in the workforce And normalizing care and what it means in the workforce is really important.
0: And going back to what you just said about, you know, having a manager say, how are you? My sense is that people are afraid to do that because they won't know what to do with the answer, or they don't want to be intrusive, or they don't want to say the wrong thing. Do you counsel the managers about how to handle that?
1: I do, uh, and it's really interesting, because I've had this conversation a few times in leadership team meetings or manager meetings where there's like a lawyer in the room <laughs> or an HR person in the room, uh, and they're yeah. like, "Wait a minute, wait a minute. Ah." <laughs> and you know what I say is, here's what I have done with my teams um, over the years, and what I still do. Sometimes I'll say, "You know what? I'm taking off my company hat right now. This is just me. You know, How are you doing? And I will not, this information doesn't go anywhere further. How are you doing? Can I do anything to support you? And then you might say, you know what? If you're going through something really difficult, we might actually have great resources through the human resources team and through our benefits that can support you right now. If you're comfortable with it, I'm happy to ask someone from the HR team to set up a a, a confidential conversation with you just to learn more and to share what's available. Would you like me to do that? Always give the person the choice. And I've had people say, yes, that would be amazing. And I've had people say, well, no, not yet. I'm going through a series of you know, medical appointments or scans or my partner is getting scans and in a month I'll know more about what we really need. So I think you can always be human. There's always room for it. People always appreciate it. And we're not, again, we're not robots. I mean, that's what makes work meaningful and enjoyable, that you get to build these relationships with people. So I'm a huge proponent of allowing people to have that space and then giving them agency over how you would like to act how they would like you to act on that information, or if they don't want you to act on that information.
0: But it you know, I think just having that question asked tells them that if at some point in time they do want help or support, you're willing to do that.
1: Absolutely. And there's a huge mental health crisis right now. And I see it in my data. And people in the workforce, managers, workers, everyone is seeing it surface and bubble up in different ways. And being able to assess our people doing well? Are they at a breaking point? Do they need more support? That may not have been something a manager would have thought about even 10 years ago. But that side of leadership, I think, is really important now. There are times that people need kind of a bridge or a path to kind of take them from a really difficult place to a better place. And employers already are supporting They're paying for the health insurance, they're supporting the health care costs. In many cases, they're helping to subsidize child care or elder care costs at some level. So they're a stakeholder, and they can be an ally in this process for people.
0: Absolutely. You know, um, I'm a board member of the Black Women's Health Imperative, and they have done a lot of work uh, to focus on the workplace. And you might think, why? you know, what does health and work have to do with it? And you've certainly uh, alluded to that as well. And for black women, one of the, you know, biggest places of stress is the workplace. And we saw during the pandemic that there felt like, it it was felt like there was a relief in actually working at home um, as opposed to going to work. Why is that important? Again, you've talked about this, the stress affects on health are significant. And we see that borne out. And so not to make this a commercial for that, but they are working on a on a, a workplace uh, focus on just looking at fair work, right? But right. it also involves policy. And so you've really talked about, you know, so many things that are not in the individual's control that we need some systemic changes. So talk a little bit about your work in that and where you think we need to go.
1: Absolutely, and I'm glad that you shared that and kind of raised it in that way because when you look at Black women's health or when you look at other underestimated groups or or underrepresented groups, even if you're a very good boundary setter, your boundaries may not be respected or your boundaries may not be seen and that inevitably puts people in this place of choice like you know do i stay in this really toxic environment or unpsychologically safe environment or do i jeopardize my earnings and my income and my family's security and it's an untenable choice for people to make and one that many people can't make. So they stay kind of locked in in indecision and and regret working in environments that are that are miserable. But there's four pillars that emerged in my research pretty early on. One, psychological safety. And that is, you know, table stakes, you have to create an environment where at all levels, you know, and this is what I encourage leaders to do and managers, model vulnerability. If you're having a bad day, say you're having a bad day. You don't have to tell people the details if that doesn't feel comfortable for you. But if you've had a bad day, then I can tell you everyone else on your team that's is right. suddenly gonna feel permitted that they can have a bad day oh. and they can talk about it, and that's okay. Um, allowing people to make mistakes in their work. You know, the checks and balances have to be there, but You have to give people room to be human, to make errors, to recover from errors, to feel like it's a psychologically safe place. The second big one is flexibility. And what drives me crazy is that flexibility has started to become synonymous with um, remote work. And that's one type of flexibility. But as you well know, right, there's people right now in labs, in hospitals, in grocery stores, in banks who cannot work from home and do not have remote home uh, work choice. But any job, even if it is not remote, although for moms, remote is magical, right? Moms want not to go into the office every day. And I would say most people want not to go into the office every day. Exactly. So I'll tell people, manager people like, hey, can you strip out some of the location centric work? So You know, flexibility might be hours, might be location, flexible expectations. People are telling me all the time, especially uh, the medical um, folks, the doctors, the nurses, the clinical staff they are saying, well, I have the same patient load, but I have to fill out 10 times as much paperwork for each patient, or I'm being asked to call upon nurses for late night rounds, when I don't have anyone to call upon, I'm calling on the same pool of people and they're exhausted. Or I can't see my patients fast enough. And that's making me feel, I mean, what they describe as like a form of heart sickness, right? It's, a, it's like moral fatigue. It's a, a sense of um, disconnection, because they can't do their work the way they want to do the work.
0: When you were talking about it earlier, the the uh, term that came up to me was moral injury.
1: Yes, a- absolutely. I see that in the study. And I think giving people flexibility about how they do the work, how they solve the problem. If somebody is being asked to do the same thing with less resources, ask them how. what would they like to change? Don't keep asking them to meet the same bar when they don't have as much money or as many people or as much time. So that's a huge one. The next pillar is really mental health care. Early in the study, there was a mom. um, She said, you know, I know I'm not doing well. I really need to find a therapist, but I can only meet with somebody who can do text messages. I don't have time to talk to anybody. Um, I had another mom in the study, and this one always stands out for me. She said, "My this was kind of at the height of the pandemic. She said, my straight A outgoing high school son is now failing every class and won't leave his room. And I need to find a therapist for him. And people are just under so much emotional pressure. And whatever mental health conditions people may have had that required treatment before have been exacerbated now. And being able to access practitioners, as you well know, is really difficult. So I tell employers, curate, Find a good list, get your people seen by somebody, use your power in that way, subsidize and destigmatize mental health care. Um, if managers are comfortable saying that they're leaving early to go to see a therapist, tell their people that. So their people feel like they can, on work hours, see a therapist because as an organization, you will be a thousand times more effective if people. Feel supported and feel mentally uh, strong, and then the fourth one is child care and elder and or elder care, subsidizing, curating, and destigmatizing. People are really struggling to get healthcare support, and what I've had what I've had to tell hospital systems, and sometimes it requires a custom solution because what I see is if a if a nurse or a clinical like staff member who's not a doctor says um who's going to come watch my kid at 5 30 in the morning i can't afford to have a, you know even if you can have in-home care which is wildly expensive are you going to have an in-home caregiver who comes at five thirty in the morning i mean you're not you're you're setting up people to either choose the job or choose their families, families yeah so you know, maybe you can repurpose some conference rooms and bring in some caregivers and help people before school with that early shift time where there is no childcare available. That might be an option. I've talked to hospitals about that. The other option might be that you don't have to have 12 hour shifts. Do you really have to have 12 hour shifts? Like why? I understand there's a patient facing component. Mm -hmm. And I'm not dismissing that. But if you can't, Keep people because they can't work 12 hours in a row, especially if it's like from 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. You have to, you know, you have to experiment and pilot with different models and see if you can fill your capacity constraints in different ways.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So taking it back to the individual and the moms and caregivers that are listening today, what? My guess is that some will, or maybe many, would feel very reticent to address this with their employer. So what advice would you give them?
1: I'm glad you asked that question. (laughs) There's strength in numbers. And if you have an employee resource group or a business resource group or an affinity group for parents or caregivers or moms or women or BIPOC employees right, which many organizations do, start there. If you don't feel like you can have a psychologically safe conversation with your manager or your leadership team, start with that group and say, I'm really struggling with the fact that my shift starts at 5.30 in the morning and I don't have childcare and I don't have local family. How are other people dealing with this? Has anyone else raised this? As a group, could we talk about getting coverage for these unusual hours? You know, that can be the pathway to have a psychologically safe conversation and feel like you have a safe space to do some problem solving around work-life integration. So that one's really key. I think the other is also having some conversations at home inevitably because we're doing all the things um, and we're overwhelmingly responsible for all the unpaid things. Most of the moms in my study are partnered. (laughs) And in many cases, they are reluctant to have uncomfortable conversations with their partner about sharing the workload, changing the workload, reassigning work. And at every stage of our kids' lives, they need different things. And it becomes cognitively much more demanding as they get older and much more complicated as they get into school and then they have activities. But you know, you can't just set it and forget it with your household setup. You have to revisit your support every time your workload changes. So that includes your partner. I say outsource, spouse source, or eliminate. (laughs) Um, If you cannot spouse source (laughs) and you cannot outsource and you do not have grandparent care or local family or neighbors that you can do some swaps with, then you know, consider eliminating things from your list. Consider saying no. Or consider saying no for a season. All of those things, I think, are within some degree of control to improve daily life. And if you're really struggling, as I tell people, because I see that people are really struggling, like have a conversation with it with some somebody. Even if you don't have a paid therapist, somebody you trust, a close friend, a family member, um, maybe it's your journal. But if you're not doing well, have conversations with people that you're not doing well where you feel psychologically safe to do so and start to look at the tweaks that need to happen look at the friction points in your day i tell people this all the time too where do you feel the most miserable right is it the is it the meltdown the witching hour after a certain time when the kids are hungry and they haven't had dinner yet or they have to go to bed or is it early mornings that are a complete mess Or is it Saturdays where you are so exhausted, but there's like soccer and all of these things that have to happen? Whatever those friction points are, you know what they are because they happen all the time. Document them. Think about a different way to do them. Like, does my kid have to be in five different activities? Could I have a conversation with my kid that says maybe two activities every season? Or you pick the two you really care about. Or does my partner have to sleep in while I lug the kids? to No, my partner does not have to sleep in. So whatever that is, right, start to have those problem-solving conversations.
0: It dawns on me that one of the other challenges, I think, for many of us is the guilt. The guilt about saying no. The guilt about having not being there for the game. So do you have a... Uh, do you have an antidote for that
1: (laughs) oh yes oh the guilt the guilt is my daughter just um this was last week she says she's nine by the way she just turned nine you never have any time you never have any time for us mom
0: (laughs) oh
1: of course i like you know my heart sank into the floor um but i had to ask her what she meant by that and then i had to kind of reframe it a little bit for her and for myself. I said, you know, sometimes you're asking me a question, you want something from mommy, but it's, you know, you just came home, you want me to do something, you want me to get the next warriors book for you <laughs> and it's, you know, it's 4:30. And in the olden days, before 19, you know, before 2020, <laughs> I would have been at the office <laughs> and you wouldn't have seen me and we wouldn't have had that conversation at 4:30. But now I'm working at home most of the time. So you're actually seeing me more, but you're you're running into the fact that I'm not available at all times because this is the kind of thing I do and this is the work I do. And so we had a good discussion about it. I don't know if I changed her mind or changed her perception because she's nine and very headstrong, but that was a conversation that I had to have with her that helped me express my concern help me express how I'm protecting family time for both kids and for the family and hopefully reframe it a little bit, maybe for her and certainly for myself. So I think that sometimes you have to really break down where is the truth and what is just your story that is the guilt-tinged story. Um, Guilt is the number, I think at some point in the study, now again, this is in wave nine, it's been running for you know, th- over three years. Mm-hmm. But right now in the wave nine, I ask a question about like, what's standing between you and self care? Basically, I'm paraphrasing. But guilt about not being fully available to their families has been number one at times, and followed closely by guilt about not being available to their colleagues. Child care is in the top five. Time just time, have no time, is also in the top five. But guilt is right up there
0: as a major barrier. So it's huge. When you were talking about how you dealt with it with your daughter, I thought that's such a great role modeling uh, activity that you just went through. And I've said that again, also for self-care that, and I've realized it myself, I've gone, you know, and without, you know, doing anything. And it wasn't until recently, I thought, gosh, I really wish I had shown my kids that it's okay to take care of yourself, that it's okay to have some time to yourself. And so I think that's so important.
1: Absolutely. And because we want them to model it.
0: Exactly. With their children.
1: And they can understand it. At a certain age. And I tell people, even if their children are really little and they can't understand it, if you can't say, Mommy's going for a run right now, and I know you're sad about that, but I will be back in a half hour, um, you know, yeah, like it's really in the long run, is it good for your child if you don't go for your run? Um, it's not, yeah, right? Exactly. If your health isn't strong, Because, you know, parenting is no joke. If your health isn't strong, (laughs) to get through all the things we have to go through, that's still not good for your kids either. I also encourage people from a guilt standpoint to really think about who are your role models? Who are you spending time with? And are you having real deal conversations with the other moms in your life? Because when people ask me, they'll say, "Oh my gosh, you're doing so much, and you do so much work, and you do all this writing, and you, and, and it looks like you just do everything." I'm like, "No, no, 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 no. Let me explain. I have a system for dinner. Um, I have a nanny. Um, I have. I haven't painted my nails in about five years. My hair is <laughs> my hair is pulled back. <laughs> and yes, I make my kids bread, but I'm often doing that at ten o'clock at night, and that's just because I have this thing." about chemicals, right? But that's my thing. So I'll just tell people the real parts that they don't see so that they can normalize. I'm making trade-offs. They can decide what trade-offs they want to make. But we're all making some sort of trade-off. Nobody is doing all the things. Right. Not a single person.
0: You cannot do it all. Mm -mm. Jumping to the larger picture, what would you like to see in policies that could help support moms?
1: Oh, ooh, such a good question. Um, Paid leave? I was really sad when we didn't get protected paid leave in the United States. So many moms go back to work after all of the physical demands of giving birth and they're not ready, and they don't have childcare, and they feel horrible. And nothing good comes from going back to work after two or three weeks, because you need your paycheck. So we're one of the few countries in the world that doesn't protect paid leave at a federal level. I think that is huge. And I think, frankly, anyone, not just a mom, anyone who has a need, a care need, should be able to care for themselves without worrying about losing their jobs and having the choice between their health and their income. Because unfortunately, right, in our culture, in our society, people are trading off money for health all the time. Even that getting to that last email at 10 o'clock at night, you're making a trade-off on your health, right? You should have gone to sleep 30 minutes before.
0: And you should have closed your screens two hours before so you could get the sleep.
1: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And it's a cycle. And it's a cycle that I think as a generation and hopefully with our children's generation, like we have to break this false choice that we need to be always on, always in service, working at insane paces um, and abandoning self-care to be financially stable. Because right now that is kind of the choice a lot of us have to make. So so that's a big one. The other policy, I think universal pre-K, I mean, why not? The cost of childcare is what pushes a lot of women in particular, but caregivers in general out of the workforce. Um, Before the pandemic, it's like 43% of mothers will pause their careers or exit their careers altogether within the first year of having a child. I mean, almost half. And that shouldn't happen right. unless people really want that. But a lot of people are making that choice for financial reasons, for care reasons, not having options. So just having a structure for preschool that people can trust, their kids are in good hands, that they're learning, and they're safe, and they have child care coverage, I think would be incredible. You know, the other thing that comes to mind, I think that we have to allow people, this is my little thing, um, but I experienced it firsthand and I see it in my study. There's a huge amount of maternal bias. Mothers who are pregnant, um, expectant mothers who are pregnant, mothers with young children are pushed out in many cases of their jobs, um, in their whatever level that they're in, they're being pushed out more readily. Hmm. Like bias is rampant. And I believe that we should have, although I know it's radical to say employment contracts like other countries, but we should have some mandate that there's at least 90 days or 180 days from the time someone is let go in a job to when they lose their health insurance and they lose their benefits and they lose their ability to have, you know, or when the clock starts ticking on their severance because severance has become a thing of the past for a lot of industries so when moms get pushed out and i've seen this happen and i've seen this in my study pregnant six months seven months eight months pregnant pushed out of a job like how do you get a new job how easy is that it's not easy Mm -hmm. what does that do to your family if you don't have savings or generational wealth like it it doesn't bode well for families when that happens so those are the Types of supports I would love to see put in place.
0: Beautifully said. Leslie Ford, CEO and founder of Mom's Hierarchy of Needs, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. What I enjoyed most about this conversation was that although it doesn't always seem like we have a lot of choices. There are, in fact, a real breadth of options and opportunities we have to make our lives more manageable. We can start with ourselves, of course, and our self-care. And again, if you haven't had the chance to hear the first part of my conversation with Leslie Ford, I hope you will take a listen. She gives some really good advice. But as you heard today, there are opportunities to change the work environment, which can make it more fair, more conducive to caretaking, and in the long run, healthier, healthier, And I'm certain, more productive. So whether you're an employer or employee, Leslie gave some great recommendations that you can take action on right now. And something we can all do together is to educate our lawmakers, advocate, and vote for the kinds of policies that support families, and especially moms, so that parents can stay in the workforce, do their best work, and provide for those families. And if you're interested in learning more about mom's hierarchy of needs, we'll post the information in our podcast notes. And Leslie is offering a discount to our listeners for a limited time. We'll put information about that in the notes as well. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you do, I'd really appreciate it if you'd take a moment, even right now, and rate us on your podcast platform, as well as subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us. You can also sign up for our newsletter at beyondthepapergown.com. Check out our second annual holiday gift guide with discounts on products, services, subscriptions, and more from entrepreneurs working to make our health better. And there are some great self-care products you won't want to miss. And of course, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening and take good care. Our podcast is produced by Patrick Shambayati and me, and our associate producer is Kyla McMillian.